and welcome to the latest episode of Turing's Triple Helix, the podcast channel for Scotland's AI strategy. I'm Steph Wright from the Scottish AI Alliance, and today I have with me two brilliant guests from Nature Scott. Nature Scott is Scotland's nature agency. It is the leading organisation in Scotland that seeks to inspire, enthuse and influence others to manage our natural resources sustainably. They've been working in partnership with data and AI experts to drive greater value from their data to generate benefits for nature and society. I have with me Sam Black, who's the Environmental Data Data and Innovative Technologies Officer, and also Ben Ross, the Head of Protected Areas and Nature Reserves. Hello, Sam and Ben. Lovely to have you guys join us today. Hello, hello. Oh. Fantastic. Well, we have a series of questions to kind of, you know, prompt the discussion here. But ultimately, we're here to just kind of find out a bit more about what you guys are doing uh, with AI. So uh, we'll kick off with a couple of things to Ben. Um, what are the particular challenges that your organization is currently facing? And what are the opportunities that AI presents in addressing those challenges? OK, so. As you say, we're, we're the, lead, the agency leading on recovery of, of, of nature there and about inspiring people to deliver a nature-rich future. We are on a downward trajectory globally and nationally here in terms of nature. The situation is bad for nature, it's bad for the climate, and it's bad for people, and it's getting worse. So this is a critical point at the moment for us to, to intervene, and our role is to kind of bend that curve um, move it from being downward to to back up the way there. Um, and that's making sure that we can deliver for climate and nature and all of the benefits that that, that provides for, for people. So our, our approach for that is kind of three-pronged, I guess. It's about protecting what we've got left at the moment. It's about restoring nature, halting that loss by 2030, um, and turning it around by 2045, that point of, of bending the curve. And also about valuing nature, changing how we view, how we use the natural world. Um, nature sustains our economy. Um, and if we can embrace that, then that's how you start to turn that around. So in line with that sort of three-pronged attack there, it's also about changing the way that we work as an organisation. We're full of amazing, passionate people um, but we need to be able to work better in the face of these these emergencies so it's about thinking about how AI can help us do that what opportunities does that pose and they are they are many fantastic and then this leads on very nicely to find out how about some of those many ways um, you know particularly interesting you know you have projects counting puffins and counting gulls um, you know, uh, we're going to go over to Sam um, to perhaps tell us a bit more about these projects, you know, and what are the benefits of, say, you know, the example accounting species in particular in terms of con uh, conservation. So uh, over to you, Sam, tell us a bit more about your projects using AI. Yeah, thanks very much, Steph. And Ben, thanks very much for setting the scene there. And um, as Ben said, we've got a lot of passionate and very skilled staff. Um, and you might not think of us as an organisation that are really innovating and using AI, but we very much are, and, and yeah, that's kind of been delivered through various projects. And the way that I look at it in terms of splitting those up is using AI to make sense of big data, and then AI that we're using to kind of access uh, the right information. So for that first one about making sense of big data, a good example is our work with Space Intelligence, and, and we've worked with them to try and produce a complete and repeatable map um, of land cover for, for the whole of Scotland. Now that 
actual project has been a data lab podcast before, so I'll not say too much about it. But um, basically, it's where we started with a problem and we've come up with an innovative solution. Um, and it largely came about in recognition of our need to completely understand what's going on on the ground. Like we are Scotland's nature agency and a lot of our work day to day is about advising on how we can you know, use our land uh, sustainably um, you know, for a nature rich future. And a key you know, factor in advising on land use and management is understanding exactly what is going on on the ground. We need to know that uh, scale across Scotland and you know to survey and produce that information at a detailed level for the whole of Scotland we just don't have the capacity to do that and take too long and we wanted to basically ask what sort of existing data sources are there out there that we can use um, and utilize uh, to yeah, produce that larger scale picture to answer the questions we really do need to answer in the context of you know the current crisis we face so yeah we, we worked with space intelligence and we recognized the big data presented by Earth observation data, which is you know so much of it now, um, and combined with our expertise of habitat surveys and habitat monitoring, we work with this intelligence to yeah produce a kind of machine learning based system that uh, yeah maps the whole of Scotland to a sufficient level of detail and um, you know it was a it was a kind of first time we'd ever been able to do that in Scotland and it was a great example of yes with that habitat survey on the ground knowledge combining that with you know machine learning expertise in the private sector. To produce yeah a product we're really happy with we're, we're, we're constantly developing it we're looking to kind of see if we can improve it and that's also the beauty of you know machine learning is that it can with greater training data we can improve it and, and that's what we're looking at trying to do now so we can answer some of those really important questions and moving on to the second theme which is about accessing you know the right information there's so much data out there right now we need to make decisions uh, we need to make informed decisions and it's about getting our hands on the, the right data to help us you know support those decisions and the, the decision making process so we've worked um yeah with with kind of government funded civtech and govtech schemes and um, yeah in a sort of similar challenge based approach to yeah develop a variety of systems that, that kind of fit into that bracket i'll just use one example was is our nature planner project which is currently live um, and basically we've been working with uh, two challengers that are basically, and I'm going to crudely summarise, they're, they're trying to use machine learning techniques, AI, to kind of data mine uh, all of the kind of environmental data uh, that we have in the organisation. We've got such a wealth of it. You know, that ranges from habitat surveys all the way down to uh, casework responses where we have advised or provided um, our perspective on a, perhaps a development that's going on. And, and so that those sorts of cases come into us day by day by day and it takes up a lot of time for our staff and and, and every time they have to kind of reevaluate and look at the data again and, and go through a performer and give a decision we want to make that faster and that's what this challenge was about no that's that, that all sounds great and, and we're obviously quite big fans of the work you have done with space intelligence it was actually a case study we highlighted in the ai strategy itself and uh, like you said we we had ed we had ed on a pod, uh, podcast about you know uh, how ai can um can uh, tackle the climate challenge essentially uh but um specifically i really want to ask about puffins and gulls you know because i love a puffin um you know what in that particular project what exactly did that you know, application of AI, and uh, I assume using AI to count the species. What what exactly did that lead to? What kind of interventions and conservation efforts? Just to make it a bit tangible for our listeners, you know, yeah, uh, it's yeah. great to obviously interrogate the data, etc. But what does that actually lead to doing? 
Nice, yeah, I'm glad you asked about it again. I mean, we can't forget or ignore the puffins. Um, but yeah, like, I'm not an ornithologist, I'll start by saying that, but what I do know is that, like, but, um, and Ben, you've done this before, so you can maybe, you know, weigh in on this, but counting seabirds is incredibly difficult. You know, like puffins and other seabirds, um, you know, they're quite sensitive and, they're, um, and they are very selective in where they choose to nest. And it's often in very remote places. Now, you have to get folk out to these remote places to, to monitor them. And the thing about puffins is also they burrow underground for their nests. Um, and they come and go uh, very quickly from the from the nesting site. So actually, a lot of time it requires very significantly long periods of monitoring. Someone has to sit with a soggy sandwich and count them. And it's, it is really tricky. So the whole idea um, with regard to our work on puffin counting was about can we use AI, can we use like automatic camera systems to automatically count the puffins? And you know, in some ways that individual task is quite is quite easy, I suppose, but then there's plenty of other factors to consider. Like, was that the same puffin that came and went? And how can the AI differentiate between actually just the flowering of sea campion and as actually is this just a very static puffin? Is that a puffin that's actually from this colony? Is it a breeding pair or is it one that's just having a little break on its way to somewhere else? And, you know, is that puffin that's gone out to feed or loaf on the water and come back again? Again, is that a breeding pair? So, um, yeah, it's, it was really tricky to do. And in terms of bringing it to life, what was the actual action? Well, of course, there's development offshore now for offshore wind. Um, and there's a lot of these companies that are, you know, interested in understanding, like, what's the interactions between birds and offshore wind? And again, with a kind of interest in, in, in you know, conserving um, nature. So, that project was, um, yeah, Scott, Scottish and Southern Energy uh, Renewables Digital Ventures Partnership Programme. The project was called the Flying Squad Puffin Project. And it was carried out on behalf of Beatrice Offshore Wind LTD. Um, and with input from our ornithologists in Nature Scott, yeah, it demonstrated that we could successfully use um, automated image recognition systems to continuously monitor puffin colonies at this um, at this colony. And, and the one we chose was Isle of A and NR to test this. This is a fantastic island in uh, the Firth and Forth, uh, one of our favourite, or we have many natural nature reserves, but it's certainly a crown jewel in our uh, in our national nature reserves in Scotland. So um, yeah, we deployed the system in 2021, tested it, and it was shown to be really positive. Now, in terms of like the real, what that actually means, um, it's still a kind of in-development thing, but we'd like to scale up that system to see if we can put it in other places on Scotland's puffin colonies, other seabird colonies that are nearby other offshore wind developments. Um, so then we can really, yeah, can we monitor long term how these puffin colonies are responding to a wide range of different effects, you know, climate change and activity pressures. Um, and if there are any interactions with offshore wind, then yeah, we can find out more, we can adapt our management and keep a track on how they're doing. That's brilliant. I think Ben wanted to come in on here. <laughs> I think I think you're absolutely right, Sam. And 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 having spent many many months and days hanging from cliffs and covered in bird poo and the like, counting puffins and many other species, it's great. It's a great experience. But it, it goes back to to my point really about where we are and what we need to do. And 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 it highlights the importance of AI in that we have got a lot to do here, a heck of a lot to do to be able to turn things around. And whilst it's nice to go and dangle from a cliff and count, count puffins, it's also, we, we've got other things we need to do. So this helps us to be able to work and prioritize our work and focus it on where we can get the most value. 
That's brilliant. And and I think it's really good to actually, you know, bring to life what the application of the technology means, you know, uh, because a lot of applications of AI are quite abstract, you know, <laughs> and, and to really understand it. So uh, I guess you've already kind of touched on this, really. But, uh, um, you know, one of the questions we had for you was, you know, that Nature Scott has really embraced AI yeah, technologies uh, and use it across wide range of projects like you've just described, Sam. And I guess you, perhaps you have touched on it already. You know, what what is it about AI technologies that has, uh, you know, that has made it work for you as opposed to others? And I guess you did say ultimately it's about interrogating and understanding the, the large amounts of data you have. But it'd be great to kind of, you know, uh, for you to elaborate a bit more about what what is it about AI that you know that is proving to be useful for a nature Scott more so than perhaps alternatives or just just basic data science perhaps? Yeah, I can start at least by saying that you know in nature Scott we recognise that we we look at AI as um, a tool in our toolbox and it's perhaps one of those more specialist tools like. For a very specific job, it's not one that we're going to like get out every time and try and throw it at the the, the challenge. You know, it's we recognise that there are you know good applications of AI and um, and yeah. So so within that, like we just recognise it as yeah about kind of extracting the signal from from the noise. Like um, we we're, we see that innovative technology has you know such as AI has has the uh, yeah the option of of analyzing vast swathes of data that we could never get our heads around and, and drawing out, out the value and and it allows us to if we can do it successfully sort of in, in real time that's something that we struggled with and that we collect vast amounts of data reflect on it produce a report what we really need is AI to drive you know almost real-time insight so that we can then begin to adapt and make changes you know you know on the, on a time scale that, that is appropriate and and so whether you know to bring that to life whether that's you know tracking change in our habitats, landscapes, or even amongst our species. And um, it's just essentially about helping us to make more informed decisions so, so that they can be managed and conserved now and in the future. That's great. A anything to add, Ben? No, I, th I, th I think that's bang on, really. I mean, I, I think the trick is it can do so much. There are so many opportunities here that we have to be able to learn how to focus there, use it to the best best effect there and we'll maybe come on to talk about that you know how you work with other people to help deliver these these sort of things but it's very much about i think making sure that we get the right focus and that's really hitting hitting our needs as to what we want to do as an organization and for society as well yeah absolutely i mean it's great to hear you guys do that because sometimes ai is kind of approached as the answer to everything and it isn't you know <laughs> like you know a, a very basic question is is ai the right solution for this problem and uh, and lots of you know lots lots of projects tend to be blindsided by the shininess of it and go of course we're just going to throw ai at this it'll solve everything but it doesn't so it's really great to hear that an organization like nature scott seems to understand that you need to really find out what it's best suited for um but onto like what you touched on there and you've already mentioned some of these organizations but you guys do pa partner with a lot of organizations participate in lots of different initiatives such as civtech govtech etc um 
you know, what are the benefits of this for you? Uh, other than the big, you know, uh, the very obvious is obviously accessing external expertise. Uh, you know, I, I assume you find it, you know, an effective way of working. Uh, and yeah, so to elaborate more about these partnerships and uh, and and tell us what what worked from them. A lot. I think is the is the answer to that. You know, we, we talked about the workforce. We, we've we've got these incredibly passionate staff, mainly ecologists, those people who've swung from ropes and been pooed on by the birds, or you know, or looking at plants and and the like. But they've got huge amount of skills, and they understand the problems here as well that that we've got. And we've also got good tech skills. You know, we've got GIS skills, and we've we've got some machine learning skills there as well. But I would say we're not necessarily on the cutting edge there, you know. So, so the advantage for me is that we tap into that. We, we we not only get that experience, but we use that to upskill our own staff as well to be able to understand what what can be delivered. So, all of those passionate people that we've got are working their socks off to try and save the world. You know, I'll, I'll call it, and you know they know the problems but they don't necessarily know all of the solutions. Some of the solutions are getting a spade into the ground and digging and planting trees or, or whatever it might be, but that's not always the, the solution. So I think the issue is that if we know the problems and we can sit and work with those people who are on the cutting edge there, you get a brilliant collaboration and energy there to be able to explore those problems that little bit more and to be able to say, well, actually, do you know what? You could maybe do this, or you could maybe maybe do that, and that's what that's what really fascinates me. I don't understand the tech too much. I have to have to admit, but it really opens my eyes, and I think it makes you start to see the art of the possible with with using um, things like AI. So, I think you know we've been doing a lot of partnership working. It's been driven up a notch um, more recently. Um, and we're sort of reaping the the benefits of that as we go forward. That's yeah. brilliant. Go, I mean, go ahead, was, Sam. Sorry, I was just wanting to add that, like, um, yeah, completely agree with Ben. And I think it's some to some extent we were knocking at an open door for that, and now we have kind of stepped out into that space where, yeah, beginning to reap the benefits of it. Like working in partnership with you know private bodies is perhaps something we do. It isn't something we've done in the past and something I've noticed is like the sort of different ways of working which we've certainly feed off each other from and learn from like a lot of the time when it comes to like software or product development which often it is in AI or machine learning like uh, the agility of how different teams are working has certainly been a, like a big learning point for me and um, so yeah that upskilling of us in terms of here's actually an agile way you can work it's like this we like nature and the problems you're trying to solve are so large and often you know I think nature Scott gets itself perhaps like tied in knots or like it makes a rod for its own back because we have such huge challenges to address now like working in partnership particularly with machine learning ai if it's software based like has to be agile we have to constantly reflect and then take small steps and figure out what can we do to drop value quickly and and i think like i've really enjoyed seeing teams in partnership working with that approach and that sort of model and then thinking well how do we reflect that in our work here and i think yeah, that is starting to work um, and reflect yeah, in Nature Scott and some of the wider areas of policy that we're now beginning to work on. It's a sort of paradigm shift away from, um, you know, being reactive to things, uh, shifting shift to kind of like, here's the big challenges. Let's be proactive. You know, let's, uh, yeah, start early and uh, deliver value quickly. 
It's brilliant. Our audiences can't see you guys smile when you describe, you know, like, you know, the benefits of this approach. And, you know, and I think, you know, it is a well-recognized thing, you know, cross-sectoral collaborations, you know, magic can happen, you know, for all parties involved. So it's just great to hear that you guys have totally embraced that. Um, just to kind of step away a bit and probably link it directly to our AI strategy, you know, Trustworthy, ethical, and inclusive are the three tenets of the of Scotland's AI strategy. How important do you think these tenets are in the development and implementation of AI? I'm going to ask you both that. So uh, maybe to Sam first. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, as you said at the start, like I'm an environmental data and innovative technologies officer here. So a lot of my work is project based. It's about innovation, looking at you know how we can use AI and other aspects of innovative technology to do what we do, but better, but Another big part of it is about data management. Uh, so it's a, our library like of our data and how do we make it more organized so people can use it you know, better. Um, and whether it's a library or your database, but like trust in your data is like central to whether people can, can use it well. And particularly when it comes to environmental data, like in our work, you need to be really confident that the environmental data that you're looking at represents what's out there on the ground. You need to be confident that it's up to date, complete, and you know it's been collected in the right way. You need to know perhaps who's collected it, and um, and all of these factors for me certainly come into uh, facilitating trustworthy data for decision making. So from an AI point of view, as I understand it, having read you know Scotland's AI strategy, um, yeah, trust is just incredibly important. Like um, how we assign trust in Nature Scott to environmental data, and um, yeah, is is just it's based on a huge range of experience. People do it subjectively, in a way, and um, especially for you know our staff that are working on the ground, and um, often they just know they just have a feeling I trust this data. That isn't necessarily so obvious for for AI. So. And the way I see it, like we have these base principles, trust if we can set ourselves up for success at start by creating data that's, you know, full mess data that we can completely trust, then yeah, we do ourselves a lot of uh, favours in the future. Great. It'd be great yeah, to hear um, your thoughts, Ben. Uh, yeah, um, I'll add to that in, in terms of the, the sort of ethical and making sure that, you know, in terms of our environmental kind of journey there it is making sure that there is a sort of just transition to the to the way that we're we're going and and in terms of data it's about how we use that data fairly as as well use everybody's data because we we are using or hoping to use a lot of, of different um sources of data there um and inclusive is all about taking people with us on on this journey, I, I think you know, and and we've all been guilty. I, I would say the sort of ecological community are a little bit guilty of holding on to um, to their data, and 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 that is that is something you know that, that we have to work um, to be able to break. And the, and there is work recent CivTech work with CivTech on on better access to to data across the board to be allowing people to find access. In, and, and use data as best as they they possibly can. Brilliant. Thank you very much. So uh, as we, we come to the end of our podcast, I think it, it's a good way to end by looking forward. Uh, you know, let, let, let's talk about what's next. What's in the next five to 10 years? What what do you see as the biggest potential for AI for Nature Scott in the next five to, uh, five to 10 years? 
what interesting projects are in the pipeline that you can tell us about? Well, totally understand if you can't, but it'd be great to hear, you know, what's next? What, what's happening? Well, I may, I, may, I may be talking about the sort of bigger picture and then and, um, Sam might want to talk about individual projects, but it, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, you know, it goes to that question of focus before, I think. It, it's difficult to sort of narrow this down to, to a small number, but I could maybe think of three, three things. One's about improving our accuracy of the data that we can gather and the use of, of artificial intelligence and machine learning to be able to do that. So that's about, you know, understanding what's there and even how healthy things are, how healthy the environment is um, and how we use, you know, real time data, things like citizen science and new technologies to be able to support us being able to gather, gather that, that information and learn from it. So that's number one is about accuracy. I think the second one is about how we can use in a smart way information to allow us to intervene and prioritize our interventions to to deliver for nature. And that also uncovers about about putting our investments in. And I'm talking about money and I'm talking about effort here. But for nature restoration, how best do we prioritize those, those those investments to help support people to do great things? Because there's loads of people want to do great things, but we've got to be able to enable them to do that. So I see a real role for artificial intelligence in doing that. Um, and finally, I would say, picks up on one of Sam's points earlier, it's about using it to be able to detect change, to understand whether we are making a difference um, whether that way of intervening is the right way of doing it, or do we need to do something else? How are the puffins doing over there, you know, compared to how they're doing doing over here? You know, where do we need to focus our efforts? Where do we know where it's working? And where do we know where it's not working so well? Yeah, so to follow on from Ben with regard to specific projects uh, and AI, I think a lot of it will be about, well, look at those projects that we've already got going on, and can we can we you know use AI to make them more efficient? Like you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, on the Isle of May National Nature Reserve, we also um, have been doing some innovative stuff with counting gulls. Like we, we carry out a gull survey there every year, uh, and normally it's on foot, but due to COVID reasons and various other factors, we decided to carry it out using a drone this year. Um, and what we found was that it was a really successful way of doing it. Basically, the drone flew a targeted pattern across the island took very high resolution imagery um, and then that was uploaded into geographic information service and officers back at, um, at their houses were basically able to, from the pictures, count individual gulls sitting on their nests and that gave us a really good idea of the um, yeah, number of birds that were on the island and we could compare that with previous years. Now, an application of AI we'd like to see in that is rather than having to sit and count them individually and scroll through all the imagery, can we use AI to kind of um, yeah, count the girls from that. So imagine if we could, you know, uh, buy a drone and then automatically count the birds, the, the number of girls on the island, you know, we could do that, you know, much quicker at pace. And that would, you know, we could have a, you know, very rapid way of counting the numbers and establishing quite a long-term trend there. So that's one example. Um, another one with regard to the drone, like, can we expand that to other species, you know, girls sitting on a nest is one thing. Can we look to see if we can use drones or satellite imagery to count the number of basking sharks in our inshore waters in Scotland. You know, we've got some fantastic marine protected areas all around Scotland. 
uh, protecting different important uh, species. Uh, basking sharks are one of those, and then um, they're incredibly hard to count given that there's only a small part of them that sticks above the water. So, you know, can we use satellite technology and AI to automatically count those and, and yeah, get an understanding for how those sh sharks are, you know, using our waters on the west coast of Scotland in the summer. Um, and yeah, again, yeah, Ben said about detecting change. So uh, we've worked with GNCC to produce a landscape monitoring tool. And again, it uses um, data coming from Sentinel-1 and 2 satellites. And uh, the idea, yeah, is that we wrap up that data into an indice, an indices, um, and that tells us something about change that's going on on the ground. Now, we've developed that into a tool which our staff go into and view but again, can we use AI to automatically flag and detect that change? And, you know, an example being we have AI um, that says, hang on a second, this area of land has significantly decreased in water content. Like what actually has happened there? If that's automatically flagged to our, you know, reserve staff, they can go out and, you know, perhaps there might have even been a wildfire there or some sort of kind of activity that's caused erosion or we've seen the uh, vegetation damaged for, for some reason, you know. It's that sort of insight we realise that AI can develop. So yeah, applying that to our projects that we've got going on now, seeing if AI can, you know, deliver greater value out of them is is certainly the main areas that we're looking to going forward. So um, that's a small selection. We've got a lot, and I could talk for a long time about them. But uh, it's an exciting time, I think, to be in Nature Scott. That all sounds amazing, <laughs> you know. So you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a wee plug to your website for people to go find out more. Uh, you know, it's nature.scot. Um, and I don't know, are you open to you know companies with with the appropriate tech uh, to perhaps help you to get in touch and you know explore potential collaborations? I, I think you know collaborations is the key, and uh, and it'd be great if anyone is interested to get in touch and just have a chat. Um, but yeah, no, so that that leads us to the end. And I, I, I want to say thank you so much for your time today, uh, Ben and Sam. And uh, yeah, no, any closing words uh, before we say goodbye? Absolutely. Get in touch if people want to chat about it. Absolutely. It's yeah. exciting stuff. So other than that, yeah, from me, thank you very much. It's been, been wonderful. Yeah, no, just second what Ben said. And yeah, thanks again uh, for having us. It's always great to talk about this. I feel like it's really an uplifting and inspiring area of our work. It sounds great. Thank you so much both and uh, wish you all a lovely afternoon. Thank you.